this is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Some of you might be listening online or live to the show on Mondays at 9, but also I've started a new component, which we're going to have a video component, component, which is on the show blog as well, which is, let me give you that, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. It is my pleasure to welcome to this week's show, Harriet Sugarman. Did I pronounce your last name correctly? You did, yes. Perfect. Okay. Thank you so much for connecting. Thank you for having me on your show, Janine. I'm really thrilled to be here. Thank you. Did you ever imagine when you wrote your article in March about coronavirus and climate change that we'd be here? Probably not. In, in terms of where that virus would take us? Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, you know what? I have been working on the climate crisis for uh, many, many years. And in fact, I feel like the coronavirus is, um, you know, this immediate uh, global crisis that, in fact, we're already living with the climate crisis. So yes. in some ways, yes, I could, um, I couldn't imagine, I guess, exactly magnitude. how to, right. the magnitude, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was reading about it because I think the article was dated March 15th, and I thought, wow, so insightful, so interesting. And then look what came around the corner. Like yeah. got walloped, especially New York. Yes, no, we absolutely did out here on the East Coast. It's, and it still remains um, a, a very real and going concern for all of us. Yeah. Before we get into your book mm -hmm. and your background, mm -hmm. uh, my show is called Get the Funk Out. Yes. What are you doing to stay positive? Because it's challenging right now. It is challenging. And I think I've actually heard you say this uh, before, or, um, but for me, getting outside in nature and reconnect, and, and I can do that actually. I mean, I can walk around. I live in a suburb outside of New York City, and um, I can walk to a park. Um, but even if I couldn't do that, just literally to be able to go outside and look at the trees, look up at the sky, listen to the birds in a way that maybe I didn't hear them or I wasn't, I was too busy before. Definitely. All, all of that for me helps me just take a deep breath and be able to calm myself. Right. What's so interesting about your book is that I feel like we have overlooked nature and we, we live at such a fast paced speed. And um, now we have a chance to go outside and really notice the things that you said we, we might not have seen um, I see images sometimes of little baby turtles hatching and people are thinking, wow, maybe that wouldn't have happened before because of all the pollution, you know, and all the different issues we have in our climate. Uh, what are your thoughts on what's happening right now? I mean, here, a lot of people aren't driving. There's, everything has been completely diminished. It has, and I think, I think though, so I think, yes, um, you know, our pollution from cars is down, but our greenhouse gas pollution, our climate pollution from buildings, from everywhere else, actually is at its highest point it's ever been. Um, so, and scientists are telling us we may be able to reduce it slightly, um, but if we actually are going to meet our long, our targets even, um, you know, for the next 10 years, we'd have to do this and more every single year. So we're not going to do it this way. Sure. Um, but I think that absolutely people, you know, out in California where you are all of a sudden, you know, seeing the mountains, seeing the ocean in ways they didn't before, um, we can feel it out here as well. And so that's a positive. I think people will remember 
you know, that and, and demand that in different ways. And the way that, as you said, with animals and nature, that we're yeah, experiencing that and seeing that. And again, you know, we're, as I said to you, you know, some of these birds, they're migratory birds where I live. I'm sure they come every year, but I don't think I saw them before. I don't think I heard them. Um, and I know that in some of the places we live, because there's no cars, some of the local animals that we've encroached on their space, there's a lot of deer out where I live, um, and even some black bear, even though I'm 20 miles from Midtown. Which wow. Is crazy, maybe they're more emboldened to, to just be out in the street mm -hmm. than they were before. I'm not sure there's more of them here, um, but they're definitely more visible. So that's... Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just flashed back to when I lived up in North Stanford when I was in high school and there was a moose sighting oh my and God. people were flipping. I mean, some out of fear because this thing was the size of a horse, you know. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in Western Canada. We would see moose there. I have never um, heard of one in, that close uh, in Connecticut or something. It was but crazy. I yeah, I know. I know. I feel like this has given us a chance, uh, if we're going to take a positive out of this, just kind of slow down and pay attention and be mindful of our surroundings and our whole lifestyle that things were moving too fast. Yeah, I feel the same way. I think that, um, uh, especially in the work that I do too, sometimes you feel, well, it is very urgent, right? It's very urgent that we get this message out, what we're facing, and but yet because we're gonna be living with it for the rest of our lives, so we have to get comfortable with it, and, you know, with climate as opposed to COVID, um, we need to be more mindful of ourselves and as take care of ourselves. Right. Because if we don't take care of us first, we can't help look after anybody else or work on issues that we're trying to raise attention about what's happening to our planet. So I think, yeah, exactly. It's made us more mindful of that. When did you first find an interest in climate change? When was that, you know, your driving force in what you're doing now? Yeah, you know what, for me, um, I started working a long time ago on the um, climate crisis, but it seemed very removed from my life. I, I, in another life, I was an economist and I worked at the United Nations uh, for the International Monetary Fund and I joined just as the process to um, work on the first Earth Summit, um, the Rio Earth Summit, which, which was in 1992, um, was being done. So I was on a preparatory committee for that. And that was the first um, time in a real way that uh, heads of state came together to look at the climate crisis, to say it's an emergency, to say that we need to do something about it. So um, I was in the New York office and we were working on documents for that. So those words were there. We were actually even just defining what sustainability meant at that time from this global level. But it really seemed like I was working on the words. I was working on this thing that was way far away. It didn't touch me. It didn't touch my family, my city. Um, and it, for me, it was when I um, did this training with Al Gore and the Climate Reality Project actually in 2007. So that was, you know, fast forward a lot of years from when I was uh, first at the UN. And um, I had seen this the fil a film that he his, had out of Oh, his and, film? Yeah, an inconvenient yeah. truth. And then all of a sudden it was like he was calling for uh, other people. He started this training program. So I was actually in the first year of his training program. Um, he did six trainings in Nashville. And I had two little kids and all of a sudden it was like, wow, this is actually happening to me. 
and to my family and to my people that I know. And not that I, I shouldn't have paid attention before, but it just didn't seem like it was, it seemed like it was you know, seven generations away. Sure. Sometimes all of a sudden it was, it's happening now. So that is when I really jumped in with both feet. And how long did it take you to write your current book? Yeah, my, so my I, so after 2007, I set up Climb a Mama, which is a website and blog and um, organization. And on the blog, I started writing. Um, that was back in 2009. But my current book, um, it was really only probably the last two years. Um, and then a year ago, when I got the um, publishing contract, I really had to put it into shape. I had many pieces of it, but I didn't have it um, together. So it's been the last year um, that it's really. No, now it's birthed. It's, it's out there. Let me just mention the name of the book, How to Talk to Your Kids About Climate Change, Turn Angst into Action. And uh, for those of you who don't know, um, you are actually Executive Director of Climate Mama, as you said, Professor of Global Climate Change Policy and World Sustainability, and Chair of the Climate Reality Project NYC. Tell me about those things. Sure. Um, well, so I started, uh, I mentioned about Climate Mama, so I'll just uh, start there. So that um, after I did this training with the Climate Reality Project, which I'm still involved with, um, I was looking for a way to dig in myself. And I, as a parent, I'd left the big city of New York where I had um, worked. I was living in the suburbs with these two little kids. And um, I was seeing that nobody really knew anything about the climate crisis where I lived. And I was looking online to find more information as a, in a parent voice. How do I learn? How do I talk to my kids? And there, at that time, there wasn't anything. Um, there are more organizations now. But so I was the first to establish Climate Mama as an online resource for parents. Um, yeah, it, it was awesome. It's been an awesome experience. Um, and then I've stayed connected with the Climate Reality Project. Um, those first trainings I went to, you know, were in a Nashville hotel room with 100, 150 people. And now we're training thousands of people. We did one in LA um, two years ago, but all over the country, actually all over the world. And so I have um, been a mentor and an advisor and we set up three years ago chapters in different cities, and we were the first chapter in New York City to be established, and I chair that chapter for the Climate Reality. That is great. Yeah. It's yeah. such an important endeavor. You know, we, we yeah. all need to get involved in this kind of thing. Now, what are you doing now as far as, you know, are you doing things virtually or the things people can get involved in? Yeah, so um, yes, uh, because really we've jumped in online with everything. Um, isn't it? So I, I was until two weeks ago, we were still um, teaching online. I did 11 weeks of Zoom um, classes, which was, you know, very different. Yes. <laughs> we're meeting, we actually have our chapter meeting uh, for New York City this evening uh, online. I am, um, and then after that, so it's an interesting day, I'm actually moderating a, a panel discussion of a PBS um, film screening of a movie about Rapa Nui, which is Easter Island. Um, and we're going to do a local talk back. That is great. Uh, so I, every day, you know, there are different ways that I think we can all get involved mm -hmm. and stay involved on issues rel related to the climate crisis. Yeah. Now, what else would you like people to know about your current book? Yes. Uh, well, my book is um, not 
one, it, there are many wonderful books out there that are sort of the top 10 things that you can do, um, you know, to help the climate crisis. My book is not that book. My book is, um, uh, I, I hope it's something that will help educate parents. I provide background on the science um, of what, why climate change is happening and the history about how we've gotten to where we're at. I talk about the grief that um, understanding the reality of what's happening, that all of us feel because it's terribly, terribly sad and tragic what, what's happening to our planet, although our planet will continue to be there, but right. what's happening to us as a species. So I touch on and talk about coming to terms with the grief and moving beyond it and through it. Um, I talk about the um, uh, partisanship. Uh, again, climate shouldn't be political. It's not a political I issue. agree. How often that way. So how we need to get beyond that because we need everyone. And then I um, interviewed a number of dear friends and colleagues all over the country that work on the climate crisis that have um, kids of different ages. And so I've got advice from them that I sh uh, they've allowed me to share in the book as well. Okay. So I can share some of that and um, then yeah, work directly on what we can do to talk to our kids and um, how we can inspire them to be hopeful um, but again, not hope in a vacuum, but actually active hope. And so I talk about the different types of hope and how we can move and use our passions to help our children use their passions to take action on the climate crisis. So important, especially at a young age to do this for kids. Um, what are some things that kids can do at a young age? Yeah, so with, so with young kids, because I, I do, I have different chapters that talk about young kids and then actually kids with children of their own too. So we go the whole gamut. But with young kids, very young kids, um, you know, they just need to be loved and made sure that life is secure. But we can take them with us uh, when we can get out of the boxes. Right. <laughs> um, we can take so them with us to the kitchen or the laundry room. <laughs> <laughs> but we can, um, you know, take them in the front yard and look at the cracks in the sidewalk where the ants are crawling and introduce yes. them to they see nature. We can help them, even very young, color a picture of things that they love um, that have to do with nature or, you know, as we talk to them in some ways about climate to send to their elected official because right now people, you know, they, we can send letters, people pay attention, they can see us be involved on things um, as well. Although again, in our current situation, maybe that's complicated, but we can read books to them that talk about um, the importance of taking care of each other. Because climate is also, um, if we're going to work to move through this and get comfortable with this uncomfortable reality and make it a chronic illness as opposed to a disease that is going to wipe us out, um, they also need to see and we're doing that with COVID, right? Those are the, that we're looking yes. after other people that we're, yeah. we're, you know, putting our masks on because we don't want grandma and grandpa to get sick. And exactly. So talking about those kind of things, the justice issues, um, again, for a little bit older kids, but why is it certain neighborhoods are feeling COVID and climate worse um, mm -hmm. and the impacts than other neighborhoods? So those kind of, you know, things we can talk about as families, um, I suggest in the, book that families also sit down and develop a climate plan, a climate action plan. That's a good one. Little th and get advice from your kids, even if they're really young. What are they doing? What do we do for energy efficiency? 
can we plant a garden or go to a community garden? Um, you know, how, what are things we do that have an impact on the climate, even if our kids are too young to understand what that is, but to, to do those things with them, digging in the dirt. Um, yes. The lights off, um, showing them, you know, if we're making a, a purchase for the house, that it's something that we're doing it because it's an appliance that saves energy or um, when we can take the bus again, that we take the bus or ride our bikes. And yes, those, those are great lessons, really important. Where can people find out more about you? Yeah, so I, they can see more about me on our Climate Mama website. So it's climatemama.com. So uh, they can learn more on um, what yep. Climate Mama does and about the book, et cetera. Um, yeah, that's probably okay. a good place to start. And there's many links there. I love seeing young kids right now getting involved in climate change, being outspoken. Mm -hmm. um, the young activists that came, um, was it from Sweden? Where yes. Was, yes. Yes. Greta Thunberg. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And the thousands of people that would come out, you know, and just stand up for a climate and the world and have a voice at such a young age was so impactful. Yeah, and in, and in fact, you know, because I've been thinking about writing this book for a long time, that actually the last two years in seeing what Greta Thunberg did, what all these other young people did in, you know, neighborhoods in, in the United States and across the world with school strikes every Friday, and all of a sudden, we were paying attention, right? These youth voices, not that they weren't there before, but maybe right. they were being heard just like we weren't hearing nature before. We weren't actually hearing our kids. And so I was hearing from parents, what do I say to my kid? You know, they're seeing this. And some of those kids were active like Greta and other ones were really scared and others were angry. And so that also was like, okay, I've been talking about writing this book for a long time. Actually, it's really important now because parents are hearing from their kids and um, I have a quote in the book actually from the head of OPEC, the um, Organization for Petroleum um, Exporting Countries, right? So working with fossil fuels that they were hearing from their kids, like what's happening? So right. yeah, um, so I think exactly as you said, we are hearing, it's so exciting uh, and it feels hopeful in that it way. It sure too. does, it sure does. Well, I want to thank you so much. This has been great. I put all your information on the show blog, getthefunkoutshow.kuca.org. Keep in touch with me. If there's anything that you're doing, you want to keep me up to date, you give any talks online, just let me know. Oh, I would love to. Thank you. It's a pleasure to speak to you. And you thank too. you for having me. My Take pleasure. Care. Stay well.